the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday, and I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions uh, about whatever's on your heart and mind. And we need some phone calls and some questions today. Evidently, it was too cold for people to send a bunch of questions, so if we run out, it's going to be really boring. Without you, our phone number is 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your question to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com, or you can also use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, be careful. I know the ice is gone, but just be careful out there and use the hands-free feature of the KSLR mobile app, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producers. That's 340-9585. Well, because it's Wednesday, tonight we have a Bible study here. I keep thinking there's going to be about six people here, me and Paula and the people doing the worship probably. Uh, Just such a weird week, so cold and Yesterday, everything was pretty much shut down because of the traveling conditions. Uh, I just don't think people like to go out when it's cold, and I don't blame them. But tonight, I have a really, really good Bible study. Not good because I'm going to do it, but just good because we need to understand um, from David's heart, a man after God's own heart, how to speak about people, how to think about people even when they've done you really, really, really wrong. So it's an important Bible study for all of us. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. If you're too cold to get out of the house, you can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. And, of course, tomorrow um, is our date day edition. Paula will be live in studio with me here. And we would love, ladies, to have your phone calls if you need anything at all. I don't know what the Lord's put on our heart. We haven't had a chance to talk about it. Um, but uh, it's always something interesting. So that is tomorrow's program. Let me get to some questions. Here is a question from... I'm going to do this one anonymously, even though I know who it is, uh, just because um, I think I should. Hi, Pastor On. Some of my sisters in our church have been praying for me and suggested Jesus and I are in a rebuilding process and that he's showing me how much he loves me and how to learn to trust him. It's also been suggested to be careful who I spend my time with, and I agree. So I was reading my Bible, and I read this verse, but I don't understand it, or how to test other spirits to see if they are from God. Um, It was suggested that I email you and ask you to explain if possible. Um, Thank you very much. I said I was going to do it anonymously. I almost just said thank you because I know it is. A couple of things. This is important. you know, whenever anybody has taken a step backwards, they've fallen back into a sin. Um, um, you know, the enemy's always there trying to condemn you. And um, for some of your sisters in your church uh, to suggest that 
that you're in a rebuilding process is absolutely true. The, the problem is the way we view a rebuilding process. We look at it as though there's something wrong with us. The minute you say you're sorry, you're rebuilt. You don't have to go through a bunch of steps. Jesus opens his arms and he receives you. And everything is perfect because that's the way heaven views you. That's why we confess our sins. Now, if we are plagued by recurring sin, then we got to deal with that. But this rebuilding process that they suggested you were in uh, isn't, I don't think, what he's trying to show you. I think the second part of what they said is really what he's trying to show you. And that's just how much he loves you. And that the next time you're tempted, you don't have to give in. The next time you're tempted, trust him. It's really important. Now, as to being careful about who you spend your time with, this is really important. Paul writes that bad company corrupts good character. In other words, if we spend time around people who are going to lead us into temptation, that means we're not spending time with Jesus. So we've got to be careful, especially if we're prone to falling into sin. We've got to go the opposite places and be around people who are going to keep us from that sin. And by the way, when people really care about you, they won't tempt you to sin. So it's necessary to cut off old ties when we get saved. doesn't mean that we don't like people or love people. doesn't mean that we think ourselves better than they are. It just means that we need to protect our witness to protect our walk with the Lord. Now, uh, I'm one who is in favor of hanging around with people from your old life. But here's the thing. If I'm hanging around with people from my old life, I'm going to be telling them about Jesus. They're probably not going to want to be hanging around with me. So if Jesus is there with you, then you're going to be okay. And if Jesus is there with you, then the focus of your conversation is going to be on him and not on the things that you and your friends used to do together. So, yeah, be very, very careful. And um, um, in your particular case, especially after having stumbled, you, you don't want to be in the face of that temptation again. So just tell your old friends you love them, but because you love Jesus more, you're going to hang out with him. And then stay faithful, and what will happen is that you're going to eventually show them that your conversion is real. And God will use that to win them. Now, for your question about 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John says, test the spirits, because not every spirit is from God. Um, what we're being told here is that there's a lot of spirits out there screaming at us. Godly ones, ungodly ones. And usually the ungodly ones are the loudest and the most persistent. So here's how we test the spirits. We test the spirit if what you're hearing is consistent with the word of God, then you know it's from God. I'll just give you one example. It has nothing to do with your situation. But here's the example. Somebody told me that God told them they could get a divorce. I said, did you have biblical grounds for divorce? In this case, it was a woman. I said, is your husband cheating on you? Is he abusing you? Is he putting your life in danger, the lives of the children in danger? No, I just don't love him anymore. And God wants me to be happy. And he told me that it was okay. And my response to this particular woman, and I've had the same scenario uh, many, many times with women, or I'm sorry, with men, um, I, I, that, that spirit is not from God. That's the Antichrist. That's the, the demonic spirit. Because God cares about obedience. He doesn't care about happiness. He knows that if you're obedient, then you'll be filled with joy. So what he wants you to be is faithful to him. So you test the spirit, and as a relatively new believer, Anonymous... Um, you're going to have to do a lot of reading. You've got people around you that care about you. You can ask for some counsel, but you keep digging into your Bible. That's the best thing that you said in this question. Uh, I need to be careful of who I hang around with, so I've been spending more time in my Bible. That's where you're going to find the answers, and that's how we're going to test the spirits. There are times when the enemy can sound so much like the Lord. But we know it's the enemy if he's not lining up consistently with the Word of God. 
So, Anonymous, I hope that helps you. Thank you. Please, please, please stay close to Jesus. You will be doing well. 340-9585. Let's go to Enid on line one from Universal City. Enid, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Hi, Enid. Uh, I hope you are keeping warm today. <laughs> well, I'm, I have to go outside pretty soon, so I'm not going to keep warm for very long. Okay. So I would like you to elaborate on the drama of Esau and Jacob for me. I I, I am const- I want clarification about um, the birthright drama. Um, <laughs> I want to know um, with the deception with the deception um, if God why didn't God um, avoid that deception to happen well Enid, he, he didn't avoid the deception to happen because we have we're free agents we have free will and um, and not everybody wants what God wants and God could force us but he doesn't do that because if he did then it wouldn't be loving and make no mistake this whole I like what you call the, the drama between Esau and Jacob started very very early with a sort of a difference between the parents uh, relative to uh, who would get the birthright uh, the mom had a favorite her favorite was Jacob the dad uh, Isaac had a favorite and, and his favorite was Esau Esau was a hunter and would make his father some stew and he was sort of a manly man. Jacob was just the opposite. He was a man who didn't care much for the outdoors. And so the the drama began by both of the parents um, having favorites and 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 creating sort of an uh, an animosity an aura of animosity between the two boys. But it goes much much deeper than that, Enid. Um um God knew Esau never had the things of God in mind. We read in, in, in Romans, Esau, I hated Jacob, I loved. It didn't mean that God hated Esau. It just meant that, that God couldn't love Esau as he loved Jacob because Jacob had godly things in mind relative to his future, and Esau did not. Esau was a man who, the older, um, by uh, by just a minute, but he was the older, and the birthright would have been passed normally under Jewish law to the eldest son. But Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. He was hungry. All he could care about was, I'm hungry. I want some food. And Jacob, who was sort of a con man, Jacob was the one who convinced him to... Um, um, I'll, I'll give you my stew, uh, but sell me your birthright. And Esau, because he didn't think um, about godly things, he was only concerned about satisfying his flesh, he um, made the deal. And when Jacob was going to sort of hold his feet to the fire by keeping it, that's when Esau uh, sort of rebelled. Um, pleaded with his father, don't you have another blessing? And Jacob said, no, I only have one. Uh, the, the mother was one who sort of instigated things, and, and, and their lives would never be the same. Now, it, it had sort of a happy ending in that Esau and Jacob got together. Um, Esau um, promised to kill Jacob for stealing his birthright. But a lot of time had passed, and and God was protecting Jacob because Jacob was going to be the patriarch. Uh, And um, so it sort of got worked out. But even then, Jacob lied to Esau, I'm going to go this way, I'll come back, and he didn't come back. Uh, And and that really sets the, the stage for the battle that we have. Esau is a good picture of our flesh. And Jacob is a picture, even though he was reluctant, uh, Jacob was a picture of the man or the woman who wants to serve God. And Enid, there's always going to be that kind of conflict, that kind of tension between flesh and spirit. And if we give in to the flesh, then we're going to suffer the consequences like Esau did. We're going to separate ourselves from God and find ourselves in in, in a difficult situation. Uh, Jacob, although he had to be literally wrestled with by God in Genesis chapter 32, 
um, he finally came to that place where uh, his life belonged to, to, to our God. So that was the drama. And, and the far more important picture for all of us, as I said, Enid, is that this is a picture of the battle of the spirit man in us and the flesh in us. Romans chapter 7, that struggle that Paul describes when he says, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, I keep doing that. Uh, oh, wretched man that I am. So that's, that picture between Esau and Jacob is very important for us to learn from. Uh, the man who wins is the man who gets fed the right food. Um, Jacob, um, he was interested in the things of God. The only way that we can defeat our flesh is to be focused on the things of God. And as it's easy for us, we have the Word of God. In uh, Esau's case, all he had was um, uh, he was hungry and he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew and he regretted it for the rest of his life. So, Enid, I hope that helps. 340-9585, let's go to Andy holding on line two. Andy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, hi, Pastor. Hi, How, are How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I've got a, I've got a question here. Uh, when, when someone dies, right, and then mm-hmm. they say, "Oh, when I die, I'll be watching over you." <laughs> How true is that? It's it it's not true, Andy, at all. It makes us feel it makes us feel better. Um, but but when we die, if we're a Christian, and we die, we immediately go into the presence of Jesus. Paul writes to the Corinthians, "To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord." So when we go to heaven, we're in the presence of Jesus. We certainly aren't going to be interested in the things going on here on earth. It's just something that we say. We are so superstitious about death, Andy, that we say those things because it makes us feel better. Or or somebody who is who's getting ready to die, don't worry, I'll be watching out for you. They don't have the ability, nor do we have the need. Jesus is the one who's watching out for us. Now, most of the time, Andy, when somebody says that, I'll be watching out for you, uh, usually that's not a believer. That's somebody who's just trying to make people feel better about, well, I'm going to die, but you'll be okay. I'll be watching out for you. Uh, it, it, it's said so commonly from both perspectives uh, that we've come to accept it as truth. But it, it's it's just the opposite. When we're in heaven, the only person we're going to care about is being with Jesus. Heaven is a place where there's no evil, no impure thing will ever enter. There'll be no more tears. Can you imagine going to heaven and Jesus saying, oh, now you got to check out what's happening on earth. We'd look and then we would be crying because uh, we'd be focused again on things of this earth. So, no, our focus will be just on Jesus alone. That help, Andy? Okay, but well, yes, but you know what's so funny? Because uh, this very well-known pastor, I was hearing him preach, and he told his granddaughter that when he dies, he is going to be watching over her. Hmm. Then me and my wife, then my wife tells me, you see, you see, you see? They do look over you. I said, they don't. I said, I said, you know what? I said, I know who to call. Let me call this yeah. person. Thank you. And you know, the I problem is, you. thank you, Andy. The problem is, there's false teachers. Now, as as false teachers go, that's pretty tame. And normally, people just say stuff like that to make the the people left behind feel better. Uh, but but it's misleading. It isn't true. And there's simply no biblical precedent. One of the reasons, and again, you know, Andy, we live in a Catholic culture here in San Antonio, and and that's why they pray to saints, they pray to Mary, um, they do so um, because they think there are people who are in heaven concerned about what's going on here, when in fact just the opposite is true. So uh, the fact that a pastor said something that's wrong doesn't surprise me at all. Just be careful. Tell your wife uh, it sounds good, but no, they're not watching you. They're looking at Jesus. One suggestion I can make to you, Andy, you and your wife together, read Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Because when you see and read the description of Jesus there that's given in that chapter, 
uh, I think you'll be able to show your wife very, very easily that this is what our attention is going to be focused on when we get to heaven. And, and maybe spend some time with her talking about what that passage of Scripture says about the one that will have our full attention when we're in heaven. Revelation 1, verses 10 through 18. At every funeral I do of a believer, Andy, every single funeral, um, that's the one thing that I never miss. Funerals change because people are different, but that's the one thing I never miss. I want the people who are in the church or in the in the mortuary listening to um, uh, what I'm saying w- with a broken heart because they're grieving over the one they lost. I want them to understand exactly what the one that they love, the one that they're grieving over, is experiencing at that very, very moment. And nothing is more comforting than that. Andy, thank you very, very much. Let's go to Jonestown, Texas now and talk with Dale. Dale, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, Just calling with a question. Knowing that the Lord Jesus died to remove the sins from the world, I was wondering if you could help me reconcile and understand uh, John 20.23, when he tells the disciples uh, upon uh, telling them to receive the Holy Spirit that whosoever sins they forgive will be forgiven, and whosoever sins they retain will be retained. Okay. I can do that. Um, I'm glad you started it with with verse 22, uh, Dale, and, and with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Um, we know in John chapter 20, this is the resurrected Jesus and the Spirit had not yet been given. But he's commissioning his apostles now. This isn't something for you or for me. And I I realize this is the, the basis for a lot of false teaching about being able to to, to cancel sins and forgive sins. Um, but, but that's not what's intended here. What he's saying is with the power of the Holy Spirit, what you're going to do now is you're going to go out and tell people how to be saved. And then he says in verse 23, if you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, what he's saying there isn't that Peter or or James or, or John or any of the others had the authority in and of themselves to declare the message or to, to declare forgiveness. What he's saying is the message that we declare, well, I'm, I'm sending you out to tell the whole world, this is your commission to go tell the world, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth, wherever you go. If you tell somebody they're saved, it's because they received the message that you proclaimed. And if somebody says, yes, I believe in Jesus, then you can say they're forgiven. If somebody says, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but for instance, I'm a Jew and I believe in, in Yahweh, um, Jesus would then give them the Authority And boy, did Paul and Peter ever use it to say to them, your sins are not forgiven. So forgiveness of sins, Dale, is by the message that Jesus gave them to declare to the world. So if we're forgiven, it's a matter of whether or not we choose to believe in the message of the apostles. You know, in the early church, Dale, one of the things that we read is that the early disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts chapter 2. And that they devoted themselves, a very strong word in Greek, and it means they clung to, they wouldn't separate themselves from the apostles' teaching. Well, it's the apostles' teaching which is the key to whether or not somebody is forgiven or not. And in the same way, we have the authority to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. Now, we're not apostles, but we still have the authority or your sins aren't forgiven. And we have that authority given to us by this passage of Scripture, which is if you accept the message, then your sins are forgiven. I say it, I'll say it tonight. If anybody wants to receive Jesus Christ, um, your sins can be forgiven tonight. Uh, Every Sunday um, with with a larger crowd, there's always people that are, are not believers. I can promise you your sins are forgiven. Why? Because the message I declare is the message from God. And and I also tell people all the time, Dale, that if they're unwilling to accept Jesus Christ and they're still lost in their sins, they cannot be forgiven. 
So that's what he meant with the apostles uh, or those that he was commissioning right then to be apostles. So it wasn't that they had any special authority. It doesn't mean that we have a a priest that can offer absolution of, of sins. Uh, All we can do is declare the message. If they accept the message, then we're going to be okay. Hope that helps. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate your calling from Jonestown, Texas. 340-9585. We're under two minutes. Let me see if I have a really quick question here. Uh, Here's what I can do quickly. Frank wants to know, how often should we confess our sins and repent? Uh, Frank, we should do it every day. Anybody who's heard me teach knows that I always say this, keep short accounts. Because we want to be in the presence of Jesus all day long. And if we're in unrepentant, unconfessed sin, then our relationship with God, our fellowship with God is cut off. It doesn't mean we've lost our salvation. It just means that we have unconfessed sin and and, and Jesus isn't able to, to speak to us or to encourage us. Um, 1 John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness so anytime Frank something comes between you and Jesus and that something is specific sin whatever it is then confession cleanses, cleanses it now I want to be careful not to be misunderstood the words that we say don't mean that we're okay with God It's the heart behind the confession. If it's genuine, if we're really sorry, if we don't want to do it again, we're going to stop. Well, then we're perfectly in the presence of the Lord again. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday edition of the program. 340-9585. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the Wednesday program, 340-9585. Hey, thanks for your calls. I'm probably not going to run out of questions now, but we would love your live calls. Here is a question from our email inbox. Not really a question. It's from Michael and... And, uh, Michael, I just wanted to let you know that I got it, and uh, we will be praying for you. He says, Hello, Pastor Ron. Good day to you and Paul, and may God our Father continue to bless this radio ministry. Uh, He says, I don't have a Bible question, but I just wanted to humbly ask for your prayers. As my family's been battling the flu, my little ones have been fighting it since this past weekend. I hope to get back in church. As soon as I'm better, I miss the fellowship. Um, Michael, we will be praying for you. You know, the flu is crazy going around and and let me just take this moment to say to people if you have the flu stay home now lightning could strike me because I I tend to work through my illnesses I just seem to do better when I'm working through my illnesses But, but with something this contagious and something that can be this difficult for some people um, uh, it's it's just much better to stay home until the, the contagious part is over until you're feeling well enough. So, Michael, we will be praying for you, and uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. We have several in our church battling the flu now, and uh, we just want them to get better. With the weather changes and with all of this flu going around and everybody coughing because of mountain cedar, doesn't it sometimes feel like you're sort of in a minefield and you're trying to navigate through? Paul and I, we pray, Michael, that, um, you know, since we, I mean, we need to work. We can't miss. Um, for me, I need my voice. Uh, the mountain cedar is such an enemy and now this flu going around, we can't afford to get... The flu, Paula would say, nobody got time for that. And and uh, so we'll be praying for you, Michael. Thank you for letting us know that you are okay, except for the flu. We'll be doing uh, the best we can to pray. Uh, here's a question from Stacy. Loaded question. I always make people mad when I answer this question. Stacy says, what is your opinion on homeschooling? And is this the way Christians should educate their children? 
Uh, Stacey, my opinion on homeschooling matters very, very little. I can only tell you what we've observed, um, and I'll do that in a moment, but let me start out by saying, no, it is not the way, the only way that children should, or, or Christians should educate their children. You know, we, we when, whenever we find homeschooling groups, big homeschooling groups, especially uh, in, in churches, um, they tend to be so legalistic. It's like, well, we've found the right way, and if you're not doing it this way, you're wrong. Everybody has their own way. And and the rest of it should stay out of the decisions parents make on schooling their children, educating their children. If somebody wants to homeschool their children, God bless them. They better do it as unto the Lord. But if another family says, well, uh, I can't homeschool my children, or I just don't think it's the right thing, um, well, then God bless them as well. But we don't have to impose our values on other people. This is an area that has split many, many churches. I'll never let that happen here at Calvary Chapel uh, because we we give people the freedom to, to run their lives because they're accountable to God. They're not accountable to Calvary Chapel. They're not accountable to this group that thinks one thing or this group that thinks something else. So um, there, there is no one way to do anything. Uh, what we need to do is understand. Now, let me say one more thing, and then I'll sort of get to an area where I have a little bit of expertise. Um, I'm phrasing my words carefully. When we homeschool our kids, we have an obligation to God to do it the right way. I personally believe that our public schools need Christian kids. And if a child at home is in a Christian family and that child himself or herself is saved, well, then there's no better place to be than in a public school because that's where you're going to find unsaved people and the kids can tell them about Jesus. Now, parents, you know your kids, and if your kid is a follower rather than a leader, if he or she wants to be popular and well-liked and accepted, then they're probably not going to do that, and maybe then a public school is not the place for them. But homeschool needs to be approached with a healthy fear of God. Now, here's where I have a little bit of expertise. We have, as uh, many of you know, a free Christian school. Very, very rigorous academic um, curriculum. Um, our kids don't get socially promoted. We don't put. The, we we don't use uh, ADHD drugs. Um, we love them. We discipline them. We're very consistent. We pray for them. Um, but most of the time, what we've found is that whether or not homeschooling is good or not depends on the commitment of the parents. Not just on the commitment. There are a lot of parents who mean well and they're committed, but they're not gifted teachers. And too often now, what's happening is parents are just sort of leaving the education of their kids online. And instead of teaching their children, their children are being taught by somebody else. And those homeschool curriculums, those online homeschool curriculums, always have an agenda. A teacher needs to engage with their students. That means mom or dad, whoever's doing the homeschooling, has to be a teacher during the homeschool day. There has to be um, uh, some sense of, of schedule, of urgency. Um, too often we found that church becomes, or I'm sorry, homeschool becomes uh, school in pajamas and there's no deadlines, there's no uh, attention to homework. If the, the, the teacher, the parent uh, feels like blowing it off or going doing something fun, they do it. And we find, and this is just our school, we find that the kids that are homeschooled overwhelmingly, and when I say overwhelmingly, 90%, the kids that come in here who have been homeschooled are behind the kids that we have in their same grade. And it's simply because either the parent isn't gifted to teach or there's no structure, um, it becomes too familiar, kids are at home, they're in their bedrooms, 
So there needs to be structure. I also sometimes we uh, we have found that kids aren't very socially well adjusted when they've been sort of sequestered in a home school. Now again, there are exceptions to this. There are great moms and dads who are wonderfully gifted homeschool teachers and they do it the right way and they do it with all of their heart. God bless them for doing it. But just generally at our school, we've found that those kids are behind and they don't have a sense of structure. And when they come to our school, uh, we go through a very uncomfortable uh, adjustment period. But once that adjustment period is done and the parents hang in there with us, and they do, um, the results are fantastic. So these are individual choices, Stacy, that need to be made by the parents with the welfare of the children at heart. And of course, uh, they need to do it as unto the Lord. It can't be something they do in their spare time. It has to be supervised. Children need to be supervised. Can I take just a minute, uh, not just for you, Stacy, but for everybody? We are in our 18th year of our free school. Now, when I say free school, people think it's like a homeschool environment. It's not. We're very structured. It's very rigorous academically, as I already indicated. But the teachers that we have here are absolute heroes to me. These teachers, some of them for no pay at all, most of them for very little pay and way less than they could make on the open market as a teacher, are doing this because they feel it's a calling from God. Because of our space limitations, we can only have 135 kids in our school. we got a waiting list years long. If we had more space, we'd have more classes. But we would never let those class sizes get above 10 or 11 students. 10 is the number that we established at the beginning. and We found needs with, with um, um, siblings and other extended circumstances. Um, to, to, to stretch that to 11 occasionally. But we have a teacher and an aide for the classes, and we want to be sure that the kids get individual attention. We have tutoring available done by people here in our church. And the tutors, all of them are servants, they're volunteers. And this is a school that's first and foremost about Jesus. We're preparing them to deal with this unbelieving world as Christian kids. To, to raise them, not to have their faith stolen from them when they go away to university or into the work world. And when I say the school is free, I mean it is 100% free. We've never charged anything for, for anyone ever. And we believe that this is a ministry that God has given us. Uh, Pastor Will, who is the principal of our school here, has been one of God's greatest gifts to me and to these children and the families. Um, I just wish you could see how much he cares and that attitude, of course, permeates the entire staff. All of our teachers are from our church. We don't hire people from the outside. This is about the Bible. This is about a relationship with Jesus. And, oh, in the process, they learn a lot about other things. It's a very expensive thing to do. We just don't charge for it. God said to do it and he's provided for it, but believe me it keeps us on our knees in prayer uh, an, an awful lot. But oh the fruit it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to see the fruit that comes from these kids. So I'm a big advocate of private Christian schools. Um, I realize that Almost nobody, in fact, I don't know anybody except us that doesn't charge. The problem, of course, is a lot of families cannot afford private Christian education for their kids. And that's where the dilemma is. We get a bigger building, we could solve that problem by making our school grow a bunch. That's never been a goal of ours, to make the school grow. But it sure hurts my heart to see kids on a waiting list. So, Stacy, that's a lot more than you asked, but I just thought I'd take that opportunity with nobody on the line. I thought I'd take that opportunity to make, um, just kind of share our heart with you for these kids. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Preston. Preston says, I know God forgives, but what happens if I commit the same sin repeatedly? I feel like God is angry with me. Preston, God never gets angry. He never, ever gets angry. Uh, His heart is broken. Um, He wants so much more for you than for you to be dominated by this prevailing sin, whatever it is. Um, But he doesn't get angry. You know, when you grew up and you messed up, your parents got angry. When you were in school and you messed up, your teachers got angry. But God's not like we are. He loves you and he loves you infinitely. So because you know God forgives, what I want you to do is focus on that when you're tempted with this same sin, whatever it is. Think about it this way, and Preston, what I'm going to say now is really, really harsh. At least that's the way it sounds to people. But it really isn't, because harshness isn't my heart. When you're being tempted to sin, I want you to start thinking about this. Jesus, I want to be with you. That's what we all say when we call him Lord. I want to be with you, but right now I want to do something really awful so you can't be here and I'm going to do what I want to do. So you have to go now. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Jesus, I'm going to look at filth on a computer screen so you can't be here right now. Go away. Thanks for dying for my sins. Thanks for promising me heaven. But right now you got to go. Can you imagine? Then we feel guilty and we, I'm so sorry, Lord. Now, Preston doesn't indicate that that's his sin. I just used it as an example. Same thing is true if you're going out and drinking. I'm going to go get drunk tonight. Jesus, you can't come with me. Jesus, I'm going to go watch a movie that takes your name in vain. So I'm going to go, but you, you have to stay here. What we need to do is start viewing our lives from... What can we do with Jesus here versus what do we have to send him away for to participate in? And if we'll get to that place, I promise you, you'll start looking at sin differently because you're going to determine it's not worth it to have him gone. As I say often on this program, David writes in his presence is the fullness of joy. If you've got to send him away, you're sending joy away. You're sending peace away. You're sending security away. You're sending the lover of your soul away. And we simply don't have to do that. And if you'll start viewing these temptations that way, then sin will get really, really personal. And then you can be free of the attendant guilt. Uh, you can you can laugh at the enemy when he tries to condemn you. Preston, it's just a lot better to know you're forgiven and walking in righteousness and holiness with Jesus than dealing with the guilt that occurred because you sent him away so that you could sin. You cannot sin God's grace. You're right, God forgives. I want you to know God's not angry with you. But make your sin more personal. How would I explain this to Jesus? Why am I doing this? Consider what your response is going to be when you're done with the sin, how guilty you're going to feel. Isn't it just better instead to hang out with Jesus and walk in his righteousness? Preston, I'll be praying for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is anonymous call from Bastrop on line one. You're on the air. Thank you for calling. Here is... Anonymous call from Bastrop online. Yep. You're on the air. Thank you for calling. Anonymous? Uh, yes, yes. I got a question. I, You know, a lot okay. of the times um, I've been told, and I know for a fact, that I see the glass more empty, half empty than full. <laughs> you know, I kind of yeah. at times have like a, a negative attitude towards things. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the times I kind of feel like it's just like a, a reality thing, you know? I mean, like, for instance, let's say now... Actually, I have a grandbaby coming, and um, 
you know, it's, it's a little late. It's like, well, you know, immediately at times my mind kind of wonders, well, what happens if something bad happens? And, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people that, you know, God does not prevent stuff from happening to his people. I mean, stuff, bad stuff happens. So when bad stuff is, is can possibly happen, I immediately think, well, gee, if this happens, that would be just horrible. And then I figure, well, you know, it's kind of like, I think it's like a, um, a, you know, a protective thing. Like I try to, I, I just don't know why I think like that and then why I, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, 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 I don't know how to put it. Maybe you can help me. You know, but, but bad things yeah, do I, help the God's people. And yeah, I, so I, I, yes, I do. Kind of like a self-defense thing. That's what it is. It's yep. kind of like a, you know, you think the worst that if that this could happen, my husband could die. Um, you yep. know, things bad things can happen. Is that being like seeing things in a reality to say that well, we could possibly go into bad persecution in this world and and you know just like unfortunately like with what happened down there with Sutherland. I mean that was a horrible thing. Here in Texas, that was just just off the charts horrible, and it's like, well, could that happen to our church? And you got to ask, of course, it could happen to any one of our churches. But see, to me, it's kind of like you have to trust God through all of these bad things. But it's like, in considering them, it's like, you know, you're not surprised when they happen. So I'd yep. like your thoughts on that. Do you think that? I mean, I don't believe it could be a you know, an oppression that I have. I've just always yep. kind of been a little bit more on the negative side than the, the positive side. And, you yeah, know, this is I, how I think I, I cope. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. So I'd like your thoughts I, on that. I'll hang up. Thank you. I, thank you, Anonymous. I, I can help you. Uh, I, I could tell you the, 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 the best answer is to be married to Paula. <laughs> Since I am, you can't be. But uh, by that, I mean, you, you've just described my life. Uh, I am a realist. I'm one who, who uh, I wants to de- I want to deal with with difficult issues and 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 hit them head on. Um, but the problem is, it robs my joy if if I focus on those things. On the other hand, we can be going through something really really difficult, and Paula is going to say something that's going to make me ashamed of myself. So uh, um, I say that so that you understand where I'm coming from. I'm not coming from a holier-than-thou perspective here. But this is something that you have to really, really, really work hard to change. Paul writes to the church at Colossae in chapter 3, set your mind on things above, um, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, Our mind is the place of decision. Our heart is the place of affection. And when we boil this down, Anonymous, what we end up with is that the coping mechanism, this negativity that we exercise, has to be replaced by faith in the one who really controls the circumstances. Think about Thomas for a moment. He's forever known as Doubting Thomas. Um, His heart was so broken when he saw Jesus die. Thomas, who, a great man of God, who was used marvelously, took the gospel to India. And imagine for a moment, his heart so broken that he didn't think he could take having his heart stomped on one more time. And so when the women came back with the stories that the, the tomb was empty, he refused to believe when some of his friends, the other apostles, said... But Thomas, we've seen him. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see it with my own eyes and touch him with my own hands. And then he fell away from fellowship for a, for a time. It was for a week. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing, Anonymous, that that's the worst week of his life. Finally, he's back in fellowship. And by the way, being in fellowship is where um, we can find the kind of strength that I'm talking about. He was back in fellowship. Jesus appeared. He said, Thomas, touch and feel. And then he said this to him. He said, Thomas, blessed are you. And the word there is happy are you. Okay, you're happy now because you have seen me and you've touched me and you believe. But then what Jesus said, but happier, more blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. So the issue here is faith in Jesus, not trying to protect yourself, not trying to... to, to, uh, 
insulate your heart from hurt, but instead opening your heart and risking your heart being trampled on and doing it for the sake of Jesus Christ. So this is an issue of faith. This is an issue of perspective. And what happens, Anonymous, and this is the reason I fight so hard against my own human nature. We give the enemy every opportunity, every opportunity to pound us when we think negatively. Now, this isn't positive confession that I'm advocating. It's not denying the circumstances. It's just saying, Lord, these things scare me. He knows they scare you or concern you. But I choose to trust in you. And this is something that you have to work on as a pattern now because this is something that's so ingrained in your life after so many years that you're going to immediately be attacked when you start taking the right approach. So you just have to fight. This is a fight that's worth fighting, however. It's a fight that by the power of God's Spirit, you're going to win. And Anonymous, you're my sister. I can tell because I think the same way. And I think that we say we are realists are just sort of one way of justifying or rationalizing, not really completely trusting in the Lord. Here's what we need to know. If something bad happens, His grace is sufficient. That's what He told the Apostle Paul. If something bad happens, God knew it was going to happen. Paula tells me that all the time. It doesn't stop His plan for the world. It doesn't stop His plan for us. We also understand that when we're grieving, when something does happen, and we're mourning... And he's right there with us, grieving and mourning. And he can be just as real, sometimes even more so, in our pain than when things are going well. So the desire to escape problems or to insulate our hearts from it is a normal human instinct. But remember, we're born again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, or in your case, she, is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So there has to be a new way of thinking. And the way we do that is Romans chapter 12. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get in the Word, and you have Jesus' mind. Thank you, Anonymous. By the way, really great things are happening in Sutherland Springs. I don't say that to diminish the pain. But we've had an opportunity to help minister there a little bit, and... Pastor Frank and the group there are doing a wonderful job. Hey, I'll be back tomorrow with the most beautiful girl in Texas. Paul will be live in the studio with me tomorrow on the Date Day Edition. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.